We are going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. That's found on page 1106 in your Spanish Bibles. That's 1106 in your Spanish Bibles. And on page 984 in your English Bibles. Despite these notable exceptions, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. These words mark the beginning of the closing section of Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. He continues, I do not say that as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. I say it as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who is nurtured in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the cord of life shall lengthen. He goes on a bit later. I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all other southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I have looked at her beautiful churches with their spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld the impressive outlay of her massive religious buildings. Over and over again, I have found myself asking, who worships here? Who is their God? He continues, yes, these questions are still in my mind. In deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ. But oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and fear of being nonconformist. These are the words of a man who gave his very life equality in society, but even more, he longed to see unity in the body of Christ, the church. This morning, we come to a similar longing in the Apostle Paul. He longed for the body of Christ, the church, to display the glories of the unity that we have in Christ Jesus, the cross-cultural beauty and glory of the church. While we have seen and experienced great strides in this country and in the church, we must be honest and say that we're still not there yet. We still have not yet seen what the Apostle Paul, what Jesus himself sought and desired for the church. Let's read Colossians 3, 11 through 14. Again, found on page 1106 in your Spanish Bibles and page 984 in your English Bibles. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us together. You've called us together to worship you, to love you, to serve you, to serve our neighbors. You've called us together to do this, reflecting the cross-cultural beauty of your creation, of your people. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word today, as we hear your word, as we study your word, Lord, that we would be not just transformed by it, that we would be conformed to it. Lord, that we would live it, not just believe it in our minds, we would know it in our hearts and it would emanate into every aspect of our being. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're finishing a series titled, We Are Family. What does it mean that we as Covenant Community Church are called together by God to worship, love, and serve? Last week, we addressed the fact that we are called together by God to serve, and we were reminded that our love overflows into our service. And we saw from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34, that even as Jesus came not to be served but to serve, his disciples are called to serve. We saw the service of Jesus. We saw what he can only accomplish in his service, which is his atoning sacrifice for us. And we also saw in his example how we are to serve others and the service that we as his disciples are to provide. This week, we wrap up our series by looking at what does it mean that we express being called to be together by God to worship, love, and serve as a cross-cultural community? Now, some, when you say this cross-cultural community, some would say that us and other churches that are seeking to be cross-cultural, that we're doing this because this is what the culture wants, or it's cool and hip. Just as an aside, anyone who says that I don't think has actually experienced how difficult it is to, ser to serve and to love and to create a cross-cultural community. Or maybe they want to be so dismissive and they say, it's a unique way that you serve the kingdom, but it's not for everyone. And while we can agree that our unique expression of a cross-cultural community isn't for everyone, does Scripture allow us to believe that the church being cross-cultural is an option? I'll say that again. While our unique expression of a cross-cultural community isn't for everyone, does Scripture allow us to believe that the church being cross-cultural is an option? When we look at Scripture and come to this question, we must ask ourselves, do we believe that we live in a new reality of family? 
Do we believe that the gospel has created a new reality of family, the church? What we see in Scripture is that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament do, in fact, see a new reality of the family of God. A new reality for the people of God in fellowship and community and family. And so we see in our text today that because we are holy and loved as God's chosen ones, we are a new kind of family. Because we are holy and loved as God's chosen ones, we are a new kind of family. We are cross-cultural and cross-shaped. We are cross-cultural and cross-shaped. First, we are cross-cultural. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul begins with this here. The word indicates a place, a being, presumably is in the context, the family of Christ's people. With the emphasis that Paul is putting on of this idea of one doesn't behave like that here. Did you ever have a teacher or a coach or a parent use that line? I don't know what happens in your home, but that doesn't happen here. I had that said quite, quite often to me, unfortunately. And so I get what Paul's saying here. He's saying, here. What happens here is different than what happens everywhere else. And what we have to understand is the ancient world, like our modern world, was an elaborate network of prejudice, suspicion, and arrogance. It was so ingrained that it was thought to be natural and normal. Outside of the church, there was not a second thought given to distinctions, to divisions, to all the things that would divide us. Ethnic, social, any of the culture, religion, religious heritage, or lack of it. None of these things would have become a second thought to divide people. But Paul reminds us that the church, the blood-bought family of Jesus Christ, is to accept each other regardless of the distinctions imposed by earthly perspective. These distinctions, Paul reminds us, typified the old self's way of thinking. The new self thinks differently. The new self, the mind is renewed. The new self, the body is is renewed. The new self, we have a new understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. And when we say cross-cultural, we don't merely mean ethnicity, though that is a major implication that Cross-cultural is a major implication of ethnicity. When Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, he asks the Father for the world to see the unity of his people. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, what are visible signs, visible things that the world sees that show that when people are united under Christ Jesus, that it is a different kind of unity than what the world understands? And ethnicity is certainly one of those things. Ethnicity and race is something that the world sees clearly. But also national pride. Also, religious heritage or lack thereof, culture, class, or caste, as would have been, been appropriate in the New Testament day. Language. Even different generational expressions. So when we say cross-cultural, we're not merely saying, meaning ethnicity, though it's a major implication. Because look at the way that Paul understands distinctions that are, that are not to be used to divide us. He does see ethnicity as one when he talks about there's not Greek and Jew. Paul is reminding us that there is no national or ethnic pride among God's people. Greek versus Jew, the distinction between these two groups was common in the New Testament, especially as the church began to expand outside of, of Israel, outside of Judea, outside of Jerusalem, as it went and the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts in various places around the Roman Empire began to worship together. And so there was a national or ethnic pride. The Greek, the areas of, the, of, of Greek culture, of Greek understanding within the Roman Empire was a great division. And so Paul highlights that, that national or ethnic pride is not to be something that divides us among God's people. He also points out a religious heritage or lack thereof when he talks about the circumcision versus uncircumcision. As you'll know, the Jews were circumcised. It was their, the sign that God had placed on the people of Israel. And the Gentiles were uncircumcised. And so there was this constant debate, this constant arguing among God's people over the distinction and whether Gentiles who became believers in Christ needed to be circumcised. Paul goes on to talk about culture, that culture shouldn't divide us. Barbarian and Scythian, these were not in opposition to each other, but they both kind of expressed a, a culture that was thought to be cruel and uncivilized. That when Paul brings them up, this would have been folks that the, the Greeks and the Jews both could agree that they could look down on, <laughs> the barbarians and the Scythians. Because look how uncultural, uncultured they are. The final category that Paul gives us is a class or caste system when he points out slave or free. Paul's reminding us that all of these distinctions, while they are distinctions of the reality of our world, are not distinctions. They are to bring division among God's people. 
And all these categories, all these ways that, that Paul teases this out are categories that in some way have different, quote, cultures. But there are more. As I said before, generations can have different cultural expressions. We were just trying to explain to our, our kids the other night what Boomer and Gen X and Millennial and Gen Z, what all those different things mean and, and what is that, how does that look in terms of there's differences in how we view life and experience life and some of the cultural uh, things that we either are trying to hang on to or letting go of and all these different ways in which our generational differences have cultural expressions. Language in some ways, though not in every way, distinguish cultures. And so we see a lot of those distinctions that Paul is talking about here just within our own body of believers here at Covenant Community Church. We have national, many nations represented. Many nations represented. We have different ethnicities. We have different heritage of even different Christian, Christian backgrounds and heritage. We have different cultures. We have different socioeconomic classes. We have different generations. We have different languages. And so, in our body, we see all these ways in which Paul is pointing out that could bring division. And in a lot of ways, does bring division outside of the church, but even in the church, which, of course, is why Paul is pointing this out. <laughs> you know, Paul wouldn't be saying this if division wasn't happening. Paul wouldn't be bringing this up if the church just automatically became united in Christ, not seeing these divisions as important. Paul brings this up, and not just to the Colossians. This was not just an issue that the church in Colossae was having an issue with. In some form or fashion, as you read Paul's letters, he addresses this issue in almost every situation, in almost every letter that he writes, either more broadly in the Jew-Gentile context or more specifically in getting down to some of these other distinctions. The Church of Jesus Christ the blood-bought family of Christ. was still seeing these divisions among them. And Paul says, the church of Christ, the family of God, is to display the reality that those things of culture that divide us outside the church have been abolished in Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. 
the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, the dividing wall of hostility between us and our neighbor. In Christ Jesus has been brought down, has been destroyed. And we see here that only a Christology as fully insistent as Paul's on both the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ can support this claim that in him there can be no barriers between human beings. Paul says here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It is this deep Christology of Jesus Christ being in all and being all and in all that Paul can say with expectation, with hope, with a sense of command that this is not to be in the church of Jesus Christ. That we are to be a cross-cultural expression of God's people. Now, our ethnic, our racial, our national, our social, our gender distinctions remain. They don't just disappear. They no longer divide us. In fact, for us to think that they just disappear would actually be to go against God's good created order. God created us with these distinctions. God created us with racial and ethnic diversity, with cultural diversity. We see in Revelation that God even says that at the end of days, the, cult the different cultures will bring in to the kingdom all the glories of the culture, of their cultures. All those things which are good and pure and just and right. But all these things are transcended in the unity of Christ and the family of God. The church, by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, display unity in diversity. The glorious diversity of God's creation in the unity of the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's one of the joys about what God is doing in and amongst us as his people. That we get to experience both Spanish speakers and English speakers, those from Peru and Mexico and Guatemala and the United States, and whatever other countries are represented at any given time in our gathering, that the beauty of God's diversity is experienced and seen in unity. In unity in Christ Jesus. 
What a glorious gift we've been given. As those chosen in Christ Jesus, we are called into this cross-cultural community. And the only way that we can be cross-cultural is by being cross-shaped. We see that in verses 12 through 14. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you must also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul begins verse 12 by saying, put on. And Paul is using this image of, of clothing. It's almost as if the church is like a fine clothing store and Jesus is the designer. I don't know how many of you like to watch those you know, designing, designer shows, but Jesus is the one who wins every time, right? He wins those every time. He has designed the most beautiful garments. And the church is his fine clothing store that he's inviting us into. And he's designed this beautiful clothing for people to put on. And we're not accustomed to walking around in designer clothing. But God's loving and gracious, gracious choice of us makes it fitting that we should wear it. We don't deserve it. No matter what class of people we come from, no matter how much wealth that we have, we do not deserve this designer clothing. We don't deserve to walk into this store. Rodeo Drive couldn't even house this store. We don't deserve to walk in it, and yet the designer, Jesus, welcomes us in and says, try this on. I made it just for you. It's a perfect fit. Try it on. So Paul says, put this, put this on. Put these garments on that Christ has designed and is bought for you. Christ, or Paul has used this, uses this imagery throughout of putting on the new self. And he says, now you're to put on specific characteristics of this new self. These are the characteristics of the new self, Paul says, compassionate hearts, seeing others as they truly are, kindness, as I was studying, I came across this definition of kindness, which I had to share because it's such a beautiful picture. Archbishop Trent, who is the prime mover behind the Oxford English Dictionary, says that the Greek word here translated kindness is a lovely word for a lovely quality. It's used to describe wine, which has grown mellow with age and has lost its harshness. It is used by Jesus to describe his yoke. My yoke is easy or kind. 
It is listed in Galatians 5.22 as the fruit of the Spirit. It is a quality of God himself. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we read that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so we are to put on kindness. We are to put on humility. As I was studying, I came across this comment that, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. But as we've discovered before, words had to be made up. Agape, to describe the love of Christ and the love of God's people. Well, humility had to be redefined because there was no, no such thing in the Greek language that described Christ humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death. And we as Christians are called to a similar kind of humility. To serve God and to serve one another. To learn from Jesus as he is humble in heart. We're to put on meekness or gentleness which is defined as strength under control. Romans, or Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, calls, says that Moses was the most meek man on the earth. And yet we see throughout Moses' life that he has this often, not always, strength under control. We're also to put on patience, long-suffering in the face of insult or injury. It's also another one of the fruits of the Spirit. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You notice that Paul talks about these things that we are to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And then he reminds us that we are to bear with one another and forgive as our Lord has forgiven us. These are actions of God's people in response to what has been done to us out of the same love and compassion kindness, humility, meekness that the Lord Christ Jesus has shown us. And then Paul says, above all else, put on love. Put on agape. Literally, put on the sacrifice of Christ. Right, all these things, all these garments that we are to put on, this, these compassion, compassion hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We're to put on over those the greatest garment, which is love. The love of sacrifice. Put on agape. 
many commentators said this is the image of a final garment or a final clasp or something that holds all these other garments together. They buy, it binds all these together in Christ Jesus. But as I sat with this, all of those things, all, that idea of this final garment, this final clasp, it was all well and good. But what captivated me was the idea of putting on agape, putting on the sacrifice of Christ. And the only way that we can put on the sacrifice of Christ is because Christ, while we were alienated from him, while the dividing wall of hostility was as high as it would ever be, Christ put on agape. He sacrificed himself for us. He binds it all together. His sacrifice covers all. The blood-bought family of God, his sacrifice covers us. His sacrifice is how we can even hope to live out the cross-shaped life in this family. His sacrifice is the only hope that we have for this cross-shaped life to express itself as a cross-cultural community. As we think about this cross-shaped family, all of these garments, they're not designed for us to wear them down the street with nobody around. They are designed to be worn in community with others, in relationships. It's tempting, I think, for us to think about walking in to this garment shop of Jesus and saying, yeah, Jesus, put it on. And now I'm going to go somewhere and look in the mirror and just admire how good I look in the garment that you fitted me with. How much easier it is to think about compassion than to do it. How much easier it is to be kind when there aren't any people around. How much easier it is to be humble and gentle if there's nobody that's kind of pushing us, so to speak. How much easier it is for us to be patient if we're in isolation? But Paul says that's not the way it works. 
Jesus says that's not the way it works. We become more Christ-like. We become better at doing family and community when we are in community. When we are in our churches, in our families, among our associates, in your schools or dorm rooms, in your church, in in wherever it is that we are located, we live out this cross-shaped life in community. Clothe yourselves, put on. Paul is saying, put them on over and over and over again. It's a daily putting on in Christ Jesus. It's a daily putting on. You know, I have a friend who sent me a joke this morning. He's like, uh, happy Groundhog's Day. Do you feel like you do this same thing week after week after week after week? Yes. We do this thing we call gathered worship. We call church week after week after week after week. One, because Jesus is worthy of us gathering week after week after week after week to praise him and thank him. Because God is week after week, the Father blessing us week after week after week. But it's also worth this week after week after week Because in this week after week after week repetition, we learn that we are called together by God to worship, to love, and to serve as a cross-cultural family. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that he is the one who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between you and us and between us and our neighbor. We thank you that you have, by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, created a family from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And that, Lord, you desire for us to begin to experience that unity and diversity now as we await the fullness of it before your throne. Lord, help us by your Spirit to walk in your ways to put on the garments that you have beautifully designed for us, that we might be a family that displays and reflects your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.